0: If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This
1: is the Bulletproof Entrepreneur,
0: featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, Go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I have a phenomenal guest on the line today. Today's guest is personal finance coach and entrepreneur Whitney Hansen. Whitney specializes in helping millennials eliminate debt in order to achieve financial independence. Whitney's story is one of actually eliminating debt herself. So she eliminated $30,000 worth of debt in just 10 months. And if that wasn't like blowing your mind, she also was able to buy a house at the age of 19. So she's a graduate of... um accounting. Let's not hold that against her as as well as she has an MBA. So (laughs) I'm pleased to have Whitney on the show to come and uh, tell us a little bit about herself, her background and her words of wisdom. Her site and her podcast is titled The Money Nerd. So if there's anybody that can teach you all about money, it's Whitney. So Whitney, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. And I'm glad you're not going to hold accounting or the, the master's in business against me because each of those is a little nerdy, I know. Yeah,
1: no, <laughs> I mean, when I went to school, I studied finance and we always used to hate on the accounting guys. So it's, <laughs> it's, it still lives in me <laughs> a little bit. I, I
0: hate on them too, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bad thing.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Tell us your, your origin story, how you got the superpower of becoming the uh, money nerd.
0: Yeah, happy to. So if I am very honest, it actually stemmed from very much personal experience. So I grew up in a family that didn't talk about money. It was a very dysfunctional family. And my mom ended up divorcing, honestly, for her life. It was a very dangerous situation. And so she finally became a single mom. But what I realized is when I was talking to her about that, like, Mom, why did you stay in that relationship for so long? The reason she did was because she didn't have the money to leave. And so that's what really started to spark the fire under me. It made me realize that money matters. And if you don't manage it appropriately, you could have a life that's not really a great one for yourself. And you might be stuck in situations you don't like. And so that's where the love of money actually stemmed from, was from watching my mom go through that really awful situation.
1: Uh. And it's funny how when we face um, personal difficulties like that, we we kind of resolve. I know you must have been a young kid when you made that resolve, but it's funny how that resolve has lingered with you till today. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you're in your uh, upper twenties, correct?
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it so, does. It does linger. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. So that happened, and then you you went to college. You got your degree in accounting. Why didn't you go like the traditional route, you know, working for an accounting firm or, or all that stuff? Why did you actually decide that you wanted to share your knowledge, teaching people? Well, well first of all, before we get even there, how were you able to buy a house at 19
0: <laughs> That's a common question. So yeah, the the way I was able to was actually kind of self necessity, if I'm being honest. So I graduated from high school in 2006. Mm. And I grew up in a really small farming city. And then I moved to Boise the night of my high school graduation. And I did cosmetology school. So I learned how to do manicures and pedicures. Uh-huh. And that was my way to support myself through college. And it was also a pretty decent paying job. So there were days where I made great money and there were days where I literally made $0 and worked like eight hours. So Mm. it was really tricky. But what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to bank up a ton of money. Mm. So when the market of 2008 crashed, Mm -hmm. I was sitting on a nice chunk of change and I got a really great deal on my home. So I bought it in October of 2008. I rented a few rooms to, my friends. So I had roommates and I was house hacking and it was a good way to go. So that's how I was able to pay off or to buy the house. It's not paid off yet. Okay. Um, but that's how I was able to buy it when I was 19 it's, it was a lot of luck, a lot of timing. And I mean, I was just banking up cash.
1: Oh, great. And, um, I, I know that, um, on, you also got, um, your master's paid for, you paid what, $470 for your master's degree or something crazy like yeah. that. All right. Yep. So, so you're, you're hacking everything. You've hacked the home at 19. How did you, ha- <laughs> how did you hack your MBA? Huh?
0: That is, that is such a, it's a good question. It's one that I'm surprised more people don't ask about or talk about. Oh, do,
1: um, Trust me, because I, I was an international student in Boston and my parents oh, were, yeah. set, were sending money from Africa. So every dollar sent meant a whole lot to me. So if I could have paid 400 bucks for anything, whether it's college, <laughs> whether it's a class, I'd have been glad to do it because I'd have saved some extra money. But I'm sure even as an American, you know, hearing that you paid 400 bucks for like your master's, I mean, there there is no school I've been to that to take 400 bucks for even one credit hour. So I'm, I'm curious to know that story.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this um when I was going back for the master's degree, um at that stage I had just graduated from college. I had paid off the $30,000 of debt and so I was done with with debt for school. That was mm-hmm. something I did not want to do ever again. Yeah. And once I got to that point, I worked in public accounting for about 2 years and absolutely hated it. Yeah. <laughs> so I that's know. why I laugh and I, I understand.
1: The, I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's not fun. No. <laughs> so did that for a couple years, realized the cubicle life was not the life for me mm-hmm. and decided that corporate marketing might be a better fit because so I'm kind of a creative person. I like to see things grow. I like to, you know, run marketing campaigns. And so I went back for the master's degree, but before I did that, I looked and I made a list of how do I pay for college? What are all the different methods? Uh And I wrote down cash flow so I could work a couple jobs and save money that way. I could work for a company and get tuition reimbursement. I could join the military. Like I was writing down every single option that I had. And one day when I was working at the salon, I met a gal who worked for Boise State University. And we were talking about how they were looking for somebody to do grant management for a big grant that they just got. And so we were talking about that. And initially, that didn't at all spark my interest until she told me, yeah, one of the cool benefits is if you work for a university, you get discounted tuition. Hmm. And so I was like, hold up. What is this about? <laughs> so We did a little bit more research, and what I found is for most universities, if you work in a full-time or even sometimes part-time position Mm -hmm. as an an, an actual employee, not like a student position, then they will give you discounted tuition. So I got to go back for $5 a credit plus a couple late fees because I paid a couple payments late. But that's how I was able to do it for $472.
1: Wow, that's amazing. But I think it also goes to show you that – Education as it is today is pretty much overpriced. Do you do you believe that? Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, because, Completely overpriced.
1: Because, I mean, you could get a semester's worth of classes on Udemy for 10 bucks, And I'm thinking to myself, most of the guys teaching on Udemy are much better than the professors I had in school. So why why are people spending so much money going to college and shelling out a couple thousand, 20-something thousand dollars a semester just for a piece of paper that would say, oh, you can do this?
0: No. You know, I, I think about that often, too, and it just drives me crazy to see how expensive education is when, like you said, there's sometimes even better alternatives through Udemy or other online courses. Yeah. And I think, honestly, it's a society thing. Yeah. Here in America, we're just trained that higher education is the solution and mm-hmm. that it's worth the investment no matter what. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's really not the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to higher education, you get all the certifications, your CPA, CFA, all that (laughs) stuff. And and I just find that a lot of people get and acquire all those certifications, but they have giftings and skill sets and so many other things that could bring more money for them if they were to apply themselves in their gifts. Rather than just acquire certificates and try and stand in line to get a job. Because I know even in America as well as here in Africa where I am, it's very difficult to get a job no matter how credentialed or how qualified you are. I even knew a bunch of Harvard grads that during that 2008-2009 period were actually delivering pizza because they couldn't find work.
0: Yeah, it's such a common thing. I think the recent stats that I read were uh, about millennials were saying that millennials are the most highly educated we've ever had in Uh America, Uh yet they're the most underemployed.
1: Yeah. And that's so sad. I know. So in your opinion, why are millennials finding it so hard to achieve financial independence?
0: Yeah, millennials deal with a very different struggle than some of the other generations that have came through. And primarily because we are very much an instant gratification kind of society. Mm -hmm. So we have access to everything we want by internet, by a click of a button. We can order anything from our phone. It's crazy. And so because of that instant gratification, it's so much easier for people to say yes instead of no. Mm-hmm. And with your financial life, especially when it comes to financial success, you have to train yourself to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. And it's just so easy for us to just swipe a card and get everything we want at the tip of our fingers. And that, I think that's really where the problem stems from. Mm.
1: That's, that's, that's crazy. And I know the whole student debt issue also compounds to that. So it's just, it's just sad. So what, are, so you got started in your business. You know, I read your story online. You were training your family and then you, you got to train some people in school before you now built your business. out. But I want to get the, um, the, the reason why you decided that you wanted to launch this bu- business being the millennial money coach, so to speak. Yeah. Why did yeah. you build this business and how did you start building the business?
0: Oh it's it's a good question cuz I I mean I've always been very entrepreneurial like I was always slinging stuff on the playground selling candy and all kinds of weird stuff but yeah. I didn't actually think this could be a career I mean it wasn't really in my my wheelhouse so yeah. how the the business stemmed from uh, was I was coaching people for fun. I was sick of accounting and I was making a couple hundred dollars a month off of coaching people. Mm. And that was primarily because they were forcing me to take their money because I thought, why am I charging for this? It's so easy for me to do. I don't want to charge. That's not right. Um, So I dealt with that quite a bit. And then when I went back to school, I heard about a program called Venture College which is a Boise state program. And the whole goal of it is can we spur economic development by helping college kids start businesses while they're still students? And I said, yeah, let me try that. That would be kind of fun. Uh And That's where it all blossoms. So I'm very much a believer in lean startup methodology. So bootstrap as much as you possibly can. Uh And when I first started the business, it was not helping millennial women, which it is today. It was helping high school students. And so I started teaching in-person high school workshops uh, at Venture College and just marketing it, trying to get people in the door, trying to get butts in seats. And it was good. I made some good money initially. But it wasn't very fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely like working with uh, millennial females that have debt, have an income, and are actually living the, in the real world instead of this fictitious, if I had money, what would I do kind of world that a lot of high school students live in. Yeah, So it's just different. But that's where it really stemmed from, man.
1: Mm. And I know that it took you a while before you figured out who was your ideal customer, who who was the person that would need your services the most so yeah. talk uh, talk about those dark and difficult days where you know uh, it, you, you just felt like quitting you just felt like giving up, but you were still able to you know get up out of bed and then put one foot in front of the other, go teach people and just um, keep going on the journey because people actually think that once you're an entrepreneur, the moment you get your website up and you start selling stuff, people are going to flood and buy and you're going to be able to ride on a <laughs> private jet the next day. But for you, this journey has been going on almost since um, 2012, correct?
0: Uh-huh. Just about. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that because I think you're you're spot on and I'm still waiting for my private jet. So when <laughs> it gets here, I'll let you know. <laughs> But I love that you asked this question about times that are dark and you you might want to quit. I'm going to be very frank with you. I probably want to quit at least once a month.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> it's a lot because it's a lot of work and a lot of pressure.
1: Yes, it is. And
0: it's constant. I think the mental struggle is harder than anything else. Like when yeah. people say entrepreneurship is hard, what they're meaning is it's mentally a challenge. Yeah, it's totally difficult. Um, so one, one time in specific that I could think of where I was ready just to like throw up the deuces and peace out was, um, I was going through this process of trying to learn how to start a website and just transitioning everything I had been working on into the online world. And so that tech curve was so high and I didn't have the money at the time to hire it Uh. that I had to like really try to figure it out. And there were days where. I remember one time my website crashed and I didn't, I'm like, what do you do about this? How do you even (laughs) handle a website crash? And so that um, usually caused quite a few little mishaps for me. Um, Another time recently that I have felt like, not necessarily quitting, but really confused and frustrated and unsure of what I do next is when I started getting more into the one-on-one coaching. Uh And when I started that, it was great. Until I started realizing that there were a lot of people that needed my services Mm. that couldn't actually afford coaching. And that was this really tough moment for me of feeling like, am I doing the right thing by working with people when I'm looking at their their bank account? And sometimes that money's not better spent on coaching. It's better spent on groceries. And so that was a really tough time for me is trying to figure out how to work with those clients.
1: Okay. So in a situation like that, where you know the person needs the service, but at the same time, they can't afford the service. How did you navigate that? Because I've read stories where, and I've struggled with that too, where I know I get emails from someone that wants coaching and they'll say, you know, I can't afford it. I, I, uh, could you just do it for free for me? I would work real hard. And then I'm thinking to myself, all the things I've ever done in my life and people i have worked and noticed people do for free, they've never really applied themselves and put their all into this. I don't know if you've gotten the same experience.
0: Completely. You hit the nail on the head. Um, so what I had to do is it's kind of easy for me in a, in a financial situation to look at people's there's their lives, look at their transactions, how are they spending their money and see if they think they can't afford it or if they truly can't. And if they, they think they can't, but I'm looking at it, and they're spending four or $500 on Amazon.com mm. and eating out and coffee, then I know they actually could afford my service. Mm. And so if with those people, I'll still work with them. But if it was, let's say, somebody that's, Um, legitimately they're barely making ends meet and they have no more money to cut and really can't afford it. What I do then is I would either point them to some of my free resources, Mm -hmm. my blog posts, my YouTube videos, podcasts, that kind of stuff. Or I on occasion will scholarship people in to the coaching programs Mm -hmm. and still work with them if I have the bandwidth and the capacity to for that month.
1: Mm. So r- right now in your business, how many people are you working with as co- coaches or mentees?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the coaching piece. It's twenty people per month. That's what I cap it at.
1: Oh, okay. And why why did you decide to cap it?
0: Um, because it's really time intensive for me. Okay. So how it's structured is it's three months at a time typically, mm-hmm. and it's a one hour a, a month coaching call where we sit through Skype or hop on the phone. And then every single week I pick up the phone and I call them. So I'm personally making sure they're doing their work for Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. Yeah. And when you're managing 20 different people, it just gets very time consuming the way I currently have it set up. (laughs) So that's why there's the restriction there.
1: Yeah. And in coaching, I know that as much as it's time consuming, it's also very rewarding when you start seeing people get those early wins and they start growing. My question is this now as, as a coach, How did you start getting those people to actually believe that you know what you're doing and that you can get them the results? How are you getting those leads and making those early sales?
0: Oh, it's such a good question. Okay, so how I got into that initially was, first of all, I was leaning on my personal story, Mm -hmm. so my own experience doing it. Mm -hmm. And then once I got a couple people to believe or at least be willing to test this coaching model with me, Uh then um, I would do it for free in the beginning. Uh. And frankly, I would do it for free until I was so sick of working for free that I had no choice but to charge. That, That was my strategy. Um, in a lot of ways, I was very afraid of asking for the sale too. I don't yeah. know if you ever experienced that. Oh yes.
1: <laughs> oh yes. <laughs>
0: it's hard. It
1: is, it's, it, especially when you know that what, what you're doing has the power to change your life, but it's still yeah. difficult. You have that mental block and say, mm, uh-huh. could you, could you pay me $300 a month for this? Cause, um. I, I, yep. know, I know it's worth that. But that imposter syndrome always rears its head. You always feel you're not good enough or you're not worthy enough to charge that amount that you have to be, I don't know, Tony Robbins or somebody like that. But because <laughs> <laughs> I've always felt, okay, maybe Tony Robbins is the only person that should be charging higher amounts of money. <laughs> but I mean, what I know is pretty good too. And the point is that as an expert, as long as you know, even if it's 20% more That the person coming up behind you, you know, you should charge for that because you've invested your time and your energy Mm -hmm. to learn that. So you've already figured out how to absorb that information and translate that information in a way that it will work. So it will save that person time from going to listen to all the blog, blog, uh, listen to all the podcasts and read all the blog posts. And then you can fast forward their success.
0: You're, you're spot on. Yeah. So I leaned a lot on that. I had to break through that imposter syndrome a lot. I probably still do to this day too. And once I started getting people to trust that they could get results and I only did that by getting people results, that's when it started to become a lot easier. So then you start to bank up some really good testimonials, Mm -hmm. um, and I've worked with enough people now over the years that I know that my average client will pay off at least $1,200 within a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And so the fee that I charge for coaching, it's only $500 for three months. So I know that it's a good moneymaker for them. Yeah. It's a good return on their, their investment. And so I've done a lot of data points now that I, I do know that. Um, but before, I didn't have that information. So I was just working with people, anybody that would listen to me. Uh, teaching workshops, practicing myself, and building up my own confidence as well.
1: Mm, That's great. So as you've done all this and you've gotten all the data points, what are some savvy money habits that millennials need to start implementing in order to have um, themselves on the right path to financial independence?
0: Yeah, it's so good. This is for for business and for your personal life. The first thing you have to do is you have to budget. You really do. It's not a fun word. People think it's like the most unsexy thing in the world when Mm -hmm. they hear budgeting, but that's where all of your financial plans start. And so it doesn't have to be complicated. You can use Excel, you can use pen and paper, like it really doesn't matter, but you've got to have a plan for every single dollar that you have. And you make sure that dollar is doing something that ideally helps better your life. And you're not just eating all of your money. Um, That tends to be common too. Yeah. So that the budget is the first thing people can do to really start seeing some good results.
1: Uh, Give us like two more pieces of advice.
0: Yeah, let's do it. So the next one too is once you start to put together your budget, it's not enough just to create it. Uh You have to actually check in with yourself. So I recommend people do a fifteen-minute what I call money date with themselves, Uh and every week, maybe it's Sunday at noon. You have this 15-minute meeting with yourself where you pull up your budget, you look at your bank statements, and you see how much did you actually spend on each of these different categories so far. Hmm. And what that does is it helps you prevent from overspending. So when you look at this and you said, I'm going to spend $200 a month on eating out, and you've already spent 150 dollars and you're barely a week into the the month, you know, you've got to be really careful or you've got to be a little bit more conscious. Um, so that's the other piece too. And then lastly, I think there's a couple key things that you can do that help you with your financial life in general. And that's the first one is to aggressively pay down debt. Mm. So I'm a a big fan of the debt snowball. I'm not sure if you've, have you heard of the snowball before?
1: No, I've not.
0: Oh, you're gonna love it. Okay, so I'll teach you a little bit about it. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> so let, let me offer, lay it on me.
0: Yeah, you're gonna like it. So the debt snowball really keys into psychology and a little bit more into the behavioral economics side. Okay. And so basically, what that means is you would list every single debt out that you have in order from smallest debt to largest debt, mm-hmm. and then. All the math nerds are going to hate me for saying this. You focus on the smallest debt first, Uh regardless of what that interest rate is. Uh And people are like, wait, but if I pay off the highest interest rate, don't I save more money? And the answer is, yeah, you're you're not wrong. You would. But this is where the psychology piece comes in. Uh If you're focusing on that small debt, you're getting little wins. So you can pat yourself on the back and be like, heck yeah, I'm kicking butt. And you get more excited about your plan, so therefore you're going to pay it off a lot more quickly. And then when you pay off that first debt, whatever that amount was, say it's $100 a month that that payment was, then you take that debt, that $100, and you roll it to your next smallest debt. And you pay whatever that amount is plus that extra $100. Yeah. And you keep doing it and it builds like a little snowball. Yeah. And eventually you're debt-free and it's such a good way to go because people get really excited when they see the progress.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess my next question is this. Now, once you want to start paying off your debt aggressively using this snowball technique, I know you studied cosmetology and that's what you used to pay your way through school. So how can someone either start getting some extra income to help them paying off the debt or getting into some side hustles that they can use to acquire money because you relying on one paycheck enough. I don't think it's go- going uh, to be sufficient I, to pay off all the debt.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I know. I completely agree with you. Uh, one paycheck is typically not enough to mm. pay off debt, especially if you're trying to do it a lot more quickly than, than you can. Mm. Um, some of the easiest side hustles that I see is uh, freelance writing. So easy. There's platforms like Upwork and there's Fiverr. There's so many different platforms where you can create a profile and start to try to get freelance work where you're getting paid to write articles. Yeah, um, that's a good way to go. Another good way to go too on the writing side is making a list of every single business or every blog that pays for guest posting. Yeah, and then reaching out to them. Most of these places pay between 100 and and $150 for one article. Yeah. And if you do that a few times a month, I mean, that's a nice chunk of change. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that's an easy way to go. And I say that one first because it's you, you do it on your own time. Yeah, You know, if you want to write at midnight, cool. Um, so that's another easy way to go. There's the normal part-time job, which you can do, but I'm just not a huge fan of.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Because you're trading
1: time for dollars, right? And you suck up all your mental energies once you finish one job to go to the next.
0: And it's not much dollars either. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very much money. I know. Um, So getting creative, I think, with, with people. So it's like there's people like you and I that are podcasters. Yeah. That you know, editing's not fun. <laughs> so <laughs> if somebody was to come to me and say, Hey, I can edit your podcast. Here's some of my work. This is how much I charge, that's valuable. Um, and that gets you away from trading your, your time for for dollars, at least in the eight to nine dollar range. <laughs>
1: yeah. And believe me, I was just telling another podcaster today that I, I'm actually going to quit editing because that I feel is just kill, so kill killing my spirits. Just- <laughs> I feel you. <ya. laughs> I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I mean I know Tim Ferris and all the big guys can afford big um professional sure. production studios to do it for them. But for me, if somebody would come and say, Hey Chi, I can do this for you for a couple bucks a month or a couple bucks an episode, I'd be like, Oh, please, I'll be just too happy to, to, too. to get <laughs> you to do this because I really need this service. Man, <laughs> editing sucks. <laughs>
0: It's the word. It's so time consuming. So as you can, listeners, you can see this is clearly a valuable thing in the marketplace. (laughs) We don't want to do this crap. So there's uh, lots of services you could offer for people.
1: And it's so, and it's so amazing that we live in such an amazing time where all these things can actually be done and you can make a very good living no matter where you are. As long as you have an internet connection, like I said, I'm in Lagos, Nigeria, you're in Boise, Idaho. You would pay whoever, However much, wherever you are, to come edit our podcast for us. So it's it's an amazing time.
0: No, it is amazing. With technology and the internet, and it's just growing even more. So there's going to be even more people that are connected to the internet. It's amazing what you can do. But you have to put yourself out there. And you have to provide value. And if you don't know what value is... Go search through a few different profiles to see what are people looking for. If you look on Indeed.com or Upwork.com, you'll see what people are looking for. So that's a good way to to go to if you're not quite sure where you fit into the marketplace. Yeah,
1: yeah. And one thing I've noticed about you, um, Whitney, is that basically all your achievements thus far have been based around like two major principles, which is discipline and focus. So, how did you build those two, um, what I say, superpowers? Yeah.
0: Oh, I'll take that, man.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, each of them are a daily struggle. They really are. Yeah. So, the discipline piece, I have to discipline myself all the time, and that's by writing down my goals. And I don't do like this big laundry list of all of the goals I want to accomplish and all the things I focus on one to two things per month Yeah. and that's where I start to focus. And then to make sure I'm actually doing the work, I, every morning, almost every morning, I sometimes sleep in on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
1: well, I, hear, uh, I hear you same thing here.
0: <laughs> you got You got to get your beauty rest. <laughs> So, most of the time, I will wake up and I won't check social media, I won't check my email, I'll not even get on my phone yet, and I will write down two items that I want to have accomplished before I get on my phone. And so, I sit down, I eat my breakfast, drink my coffee, work on those two items. Once it's about 8.30 to 9 a.m., that's when I shut that piece down and I move on to my daily tasks. But I try to have this like very focused, disciplined time where all I'm working on is those goals, and it's it's a struggle. I think the more you the more you can stay focused on one goal, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to see other areas of your life start to perform better too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it it all goes hand in hand. But I think the way you start your morning is really critical to the, all of that progress.
1: Yeah yeah and i think one thing about this the reason why i brought up the discipline and the focus was basically um i read the article about you in um, bodybuilding.com how you oh yes it's <laughs> awesome man how you how you got into bodybuilding and that's just an amazing story so i mean for <laughs> the listeners you. out there that have not um heard that story could you re- retell that story in your own words just to prove yeah. to them that discipline and focus are the two biggest things that you need to have.
0: It's true. So that that story that is so funny because at that same time is also when I paid off all of the debt. Wow. So I I don't think that was a coincidence yeah. that it was it came at the same time. Uh, but I was about thirty pounds overweight, and I was walking with my fiance now at the time boyfriend mm-hmm. um, in downtown Boise. And It was the worst moment, man, because a homeless guy came up to me and asked me if I was pregnant, oh my and I was like, "I'm <laughs> not pregnant." I was like, "Oh my, my!" My boyfriend was cracking up, of course, and I'm like, ready to cry. I'm like, "What?" It's <laughs> so that's when it it was like this trigger moment. Yeah. And right, then I'm like, nope. I'm gonna lose weight, and I'm gonna pay off debt, and I'm gonna get my life together. And it was that one moment that yeah. really changed everything. And so I started hitting the gym and I was lifting weights. I still do to this day and lost all of the weight uh, from running and lifting weights and just watching my diet. And at that same time is when I was paying off debt. And so I was very focused on those two areas, which use the exact same skills, it turns out. The same skill to get your butt to the gym is the exact same one that you you use to stick to a budget. Mm. And so that's where it all really stemmed from.
1: Wow. Uh, and have you seen that homeless guy? Cause I think you need to give him like five bucks for actually motivating you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like 5 million. Thanks, man.
1: <laughs> like you, no. really, you really got me going, man. You deserve oh, a, a piece of this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm like, Oh no, no. I gotta go lift weights now. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad that it took that, yeah. you know, like it's, some random stranger asking me if I'm pregnant to get to that point. But sometimes that's what we need in yeah. life is somebody call us out yeah. and then it sparks this moment. I'll show you.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. Cause I remember, I think it was uh, one of the bosses I had or something like that when we were doing some work and they were just like dismissive. Cause I, I put in something, but I missed something and the guy was just like, Oh, pfft. You don't know shit, and I was like, "Okay, I'll show you." And since then, I was just like, any any opportunity I had to crush him. He was my boss, but any opportunity I had, I just didn't care. I would let him have it, just to just to let him know that I know what I'm talking about and I know who I am. And you can you can't just say shit about me and get away scot free. So yeah, we, <laughs> I absolutely know the feeling. I know the feeling. So as we start, so as we start to transition towards the end of the show, Whitney, um, I have some few wrapping up questions for you. So the first one is this: um, looking on your looking back on your journey thus far, is there anything you think you could have done differently to help you fast track your path to success?
0: I think the, the the first thing that comes to mind for me is I could have putting myself out there faster and sooner and not worried so much about what do I think of myself and what do other people think of myself? I definitely would have did that much sooner, even though it's uncomfortable. I wish I would have did that and asking for the sell faster.
1: Yeah. And it's so hard, especially with the YouTube videos. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm just starting to do YouTube this week and I did my first video. and I'm like, I don't want to go back in front of the camera. I just want, I just want my microphone. (laughs) It's so awkward. So I I completely understand. And the next question is um, for millennials out there that are still struggling in terms of figuring out what they want to do with their lives, how they're going to, you know, live their lives and start making a living going forward, given all the changes around, you know, the rise of artificial intelligence, you know, uh, unemployment beginning to skyrocket again as robots continue to take the work away due to automation what do you have in terms of advice for those people that are still unsure about what the future holds
0: oh i think that trying to predict the future is one of the hardest and scariest things in the world so the the best thing that you can do is really network your hiney off Mm. meet people in every different industry and just talk to them. And I think once you start to understand what's actually going on in different industries, you are not only expanding your network. So you, when you're looking for a job, you're going to be a lot more uh, – people will think of you faster than yeah. if they didn't know you at all. And then you start to learn about other industries as well. So I think that's probably my biggest advice for people is just go network and learn firsthand, not just about reading from different articles and publications. Mm.
1: And for and the final question, for someone who, for example, says, "Hey, I love what Whitney is doing. I wish I could be like Whitney. What are some steps that person can take to try and emulate your specific success up until this point?"
0: Yeah, so I'd say the first thing to do is look internally, so look at your yourself and figure out are there certain action items I could do?" That would help instill confidence in me so that people would actually trust what I'm trying to do. So if you're trying to go into the financial world, it's clean up your own financial life. Uh Start to build in your own financial habits that are successful and healthy. And then just start to get those testimonials. Work with people for free. It's okay in the very, very beginning. You've got to get that practice. And then eventually you can start to charge quite a bit of money for what you do. But I think starting with yourself as the case study is almost always the best way to go.
1: Great. And with that said, we've reached the end of the show. I really want to thank you for coming to share your words of wisdom Whitney. So where can people find you and learn more about you? And um, what projects do you have coming up for now up until the rest of the year?
0: Yeah, I appreciate. Uh, So the best place to go to learn more about me and my work is WhitneyHanson.com. On there, you'll see free courses, my blog posts, my podcast, and then one project that I'm really excited about, and I think you'll appreciate this too, is because I'm I'm getting back into YouTube. Oh. So I'm going to be right there with you in the trenches again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Great, great. And I'll link to that in the show notes. So Whitney, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I really enjoyed the hour we spent talking and sharing some words of wisdom, especially helping millennials get out of debt and get on the pathway to financial independence and financial success. So thanks for coming on to share your story.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, Go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur podcast at www.odogwu.com.